Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, Andrew Derrimuth, how you going? Very good. Very good. Yes. Recording this on a Friday morning, which is unlike us, before work hours. Exactly. And you're very chipper today. What's been going on? I don't know. Just uh, the weather's weather's improved in Melbourne and uh, everything's brighter. Sun's out, guns out. Yep. Yeah. I'm super stressed and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, between us, we'll be uh, nice and relaxed. We'll be balanced for yeah, the show exactly. today. So, we're going to be talking about some reporting season stuff. Uh, we got questions around a couple of really interesting questions around stocks and ETFs, like um, inheritances and people trying to go for like hundred baggers in the stock market, which is awesome. Uh, so we'll talk about like how we can approach that, and we've also got an update from a Zip coming to you live on the podcast. <laughs> What's well, not live? We're actually will be Andrew 20- Derrimuth <laughs> reporting on that. <laughs> Andrew Derrimuth on the ground, twenty four hours before you hear this, uh, he'll be reporting on that from the street. What are the people saying? So <laughs> we'll see about this. Well, what do you I don't think up- that's fit for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, what uh, what are you uh, what have you been working on this week, mate? You're always very busy. You're very, you just hover around. My busy busy mind generally. Uh, I mean, a lot of things this week. We had the SMSF Association Conference, which we went and checked out. We also uh, helped deliver the an ethical investing masterclass, so mm-hmm. unique agenda that was kind of talking to advisors, and I think you yourself were involved too. Oh, yeah, man. Um, the growth in responsible and ethical investing and talking about uh, how people are just increasingly wanting their investments to align with their own values. Mm. It's a massive success. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a bit of fun. We had uh, what, how many advisors on the line? Uh, over two hundred dialed in live. Two hundred dialed in yeah. live, and uh, yeah, we spoke to heaps of people. Like Simon O'Connor, I was in the room with James O'Reilly. It was good fun. Yeah, CEO of uh, Responsible Invest- Investment Association. Yeah, and the SMSF Association uh, conference in Melbourne was really good. Um, it's actually as we record, it's currently ongoing, and um, yeah, it's really great to see so many uh, people in. And about SMSFs and kind of the the industry as well. It's kind of I feel like it's kind of at least for the demographic that we speak to quite a bit. Like I know you speak to an older, slightly older demographic than I speak to, Drew. But um, really, a lot of folks really interested in SMSFs. Definitely, 
and it's I think it's people are being coming more engaged and being more becoming more financially literate. I think yeah. is the key. And then once you do, you want to have a say in where your super is, and you want to own your super rather than just seeing a st- statement every six months. So, mm. and uh, I mean, with like all technology, cost is getting lower. Yeah. Um, you've got an SMSF? No, I don't. Not yet. No, not yet, mate. We can talk about that. Yeah, I need a few million first. <laughs> I need to do a limited recourse borrowing arrangement. I need to buy this building and then lease it back to us. <laughs> I don't know how much this building would cost. I imagine it wouldn't be cheap. Quite a lot. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's a chin-chin building, building <laughs> yeah. in Flinders Lane, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think you can contribute that much to super anymore. <laughs> this is true. Maybe if we all pull it together. Um, so, yeah, so it's great. Um, and we've had company results this week, which has been- you know, it's always eye-opening. I saw some kind of hysterical uh, article today suggesting that Australia's inflation was caused by increasing company profits. It's not helping. <laughs> it probably doesn't help, but at the same time, I was. they compared company profits in dollar terms to wage inflation. Yeah, exactly. And wages were only up 3.3% last year or 0.8% in the final quarter, yeah. I think, which is below what the RBA was expecting and hopefully means rates of- Peaked. Well, wait, what? <laughs> oh, no. good, good news for Andrew Derrimuth on that prediction. Andrew Derrimuth, economist Andrew Derrimuth, uh, macro expert. How, well, do I, how do I get that moniker? Is it moniker or a title? Economist. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think you just kind of- Take it. Yeah, just have to have something to do predict, with economics. Predict that as long as you mention GDP, GDP. At least once in your career, you're an economist. Um, well, yeah, interesting. Interesting, that r- bit of reporting. It probably doesn't help, but- Free markets, yo. This is how things work. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a broad generaliz- generalization, though, isn't it? With that comment about company profits. Yeah, like that's, you're looking at- you're That's li- entirely uh, political. There's about half the companies on the ASX that are reporting that are fall- having falling profits and falling revenue, and you're only looking at the ones that have got increasing <laughs> profit, increase in revenue. Yeah. Well, they're saying like, oh, look at Commonwealth Bank's super profits. I'm like, yeah, there's about to be an avalanche crash on top of CBA, yeah. which we spoke about last week in terms of- um, delinquencies and whatever, and all the banks. Uh, so, it's like these things ebb and flow. And we're in a competitive marketplace. So, what happens if if inflation does start to wane, the prices come back down again? Exactly. That's, that's the way the world works. That's why we have a capitalistic society. Or you get the other problem where because you've increased your prices along with inflation, you end up having too much inventory and you have to write it down. So, yeah. you're just bringing forward- Sales into the current year, yeah. which I mean, there's a lot of companies have. I think it's been more than ever in this reporting season. There's massive barbell of companies doing great, growing profits, and companies that are you know over have way too much inventory or sales are struggling. We think about it: if wages aren't going up and company profits are, sooner or later the company profits going to come down. Exactly. And the, the other thing is just reframing this. I would rather have higher company profits than higher wage inflation. Because I know which yeah. one's going to be more sticky. Exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, let's uh, let's get into <laughs> let's get into some uh, company results. I know you um, you've held BHP for what, sixty years. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Derrimuth. <yes. laughs> Andrew Derrimuth, seventy-four-year-old alter ego. Here man. we go. Split personality. Um, so BHP uh, dividend was down. That's probably like the the headline. Down 40% down as well. Down 40% yeah. progressive dividend policy. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is- Progressively what, changing. Progressively lower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's what almost broke their business the first time, wasn't it? We yeah. were saying they were always increase their dividend every year. And I think boards are becoming a bit more, a bit smarter about this and a bit more aware of their uh, shareholders. But it's a cyclical company. And this is a good reminder 
for us, for for everyone, or for those probably buying it in the last few months, you know, mm. materials have been among the most popular sectors in the economy mm. because uh, they were the best performing asset class last year. And now you see cyclicality if iron ore price falls. Um, the dividend has to fall. You can't keep paying out high dividends if your profits still are falling at the same time. So, the pro- the result was generally fine. You know, you look at the headline, profit fell by 32%, but it was still $9.5 billion for yeah. a half year. It's quite Not a bit of scratch when you think about it. And inflation apparently was up 12%. So, inflation in BHP's costs was up 12%. Wow. Um, and part, mo- most of that was a 70% increase in diesel prices. Says so maybe get battery-powered cars. Well, yeah, that too. But also maybe they should write to whoever wrote that article and say, well, our profits are down, but our costs are up. up. <laughs> so, can we like get some sort of subsidy? <laughs> Keep our dividend up? Uh, maybe they should, they should get in contact with uh, Qantas. Um, so, Woolworths was the other company and it was one of the companies singled out in that uh, article about company profits versus wage inflation. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to look at the result yet. How did it figure? Not bad. Yeah. I was just looking to an update uh, right before we came Good in as well. Well, dividend was up eighteen uh, oh. percent, and Woolworths is still kind of evolving after getting rid of, or sorry, not getting rid of, demerging hmm. Endeavour, yeah. the Dan Murphy's chain. Uh, earnings were up twelve percent. Sales were up four percent. Fairly, you know, much better than expected. They did have lower costs oh. and higher sales. Oh no. <laughs> This is <laughs> but the lower costs were, were all, you know, remember all the screens we put up during the pandemic and all those additional things and, and not having any tellers or is it tellers? Um, cashiers. <laughs> your cashiers. Uh, I think all those costs are starting to fall out of their results from last year. So, their margins were actually improving mm-hmm. compared to previous and then they called it something like, um, uh, what was it called? Well, eating Eating at home essentially. Uh, I mean, I've seen the opposite whenever I walk out of our office in the city. The city is pumping in Melbourne again. Yeah. They were saying more people are choosing to eat at home, but choosing higher luxury type goods like blue cheese or macadamia milk. Meredith goat cheese. Meredith goat cheese. (laughs) Yep. Not owned by Drew. Not brand. Not my brand. (laughs) Should be though. (laughs) Acquisition in the pipeline. Food inflation was 7.7%, they said. Really? And total food sales growth was 5.6, which tells you- They took a hit, but they agreed exactly. to cap some of the costs. I think that expired a little while ago. Remember yeah. they had that PR release, we won't increase blah, 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 blah on these items. On pasta, flour, yeah. all the basics, yep. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, corporate citizen. Um, so- <laughs> That's the trend of this. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Yeah. Well, CBA is a good corporate citizen. Well, if you look, so I'm just eyeballing this, but um, from continuing operations, uh, it looks like- uh, gross profit was up four hundred million, which sounds like a lot of money, but when you think about it, it's nine point eight billion dollars. Um, and EBIT earnings before interest and tax was up two hundred million, uh, sorry three hundred million. So like across the board, even though profits increased, uh, it's not, to be honest, a massive increase. It might sound like it in percentage terms, but as they shake out all of these endeavor uh, and related businesses, it's not really. Like I feel like yeah, it's pretty hard to say like this. The big company, the big supermarket increased profits this much, therefore bad. I don't know. I just kind of take offense to that. I guess I'm biased. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all about headlines these days. I had a mention in here about- You, re- you actually read articles? <laughs> <laughs> you actually click through to the uh, research? And and how do you- how oh. do you- <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like fear. Fear's back. That was one of my first points. That you go to a you go to a lunch that's talking about the outlook for the economy, and it's so easy to sell the idea that property prices are going to fall thirty percent. Hmm. That you know the end of the bubble of all bubbles is is over. But then you go look outside your door, and people are spending, people are eating out, people are pretty much back to normal. Yeah. So it's this is kind of mismatch between fear and the headlines and what what's happening around us. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Go. There's a new definition, which I read about this week, Uh-oh. for the economy. Oh, for the economy. Yeah. It's a definition. Hard landing. Oh, hard landing. Soft landing. Yeah. No landing. What does no landing mean? You never, you never enter a recession and you just accelerate and go back up. So, hard landing is a deep recession, which everyone thinks or seems to think will happen because of increasing interest rates. Soft landing is like a very shallow or narrowly avoiding. As in you might go negative for and one quarter. No landing is basically we're going to pretend to the you know, the terminal, the air, the air traffic controller that we're landing, but we don't. We just accelerate. <laughs> just take off. Um, and don't run out of fuel. Okay. So, you're saying there's- My options are- the, It's like a multiple choice. So, I've got- We for enter a recession. So, that's like two quarters of backwards. We have maybe- a zero quarter, a couple, something like that. It just goes like bubbles around between positive growth of like 1% and negative. And then there's the hard landing, which is- uh, So, then there's no just, landing. Like, just glide off yeah. into the, the sunset. Like, you know, the aircraft, or is it the jets that refuel uh, in yeah. the air? Yeah, Air Force Kind one. of one of those. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's what I think. Uh, I think I'm my- def- uh, Which one? Which button is it? Is it this one or this one? The right one. That <laughs> Okay, here's my prediction. I should know. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, here's my prediction. I predict that we we have a soft landing, but it's like one of those landings where you come down and you just kind of kiss and then you take off again. Like Conair. Yeah, like Conair. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I was watching that the other day. I don't know where it is. Nick Cage. He's got the hair in that, I tell you what. He's got the skullet. Peak Nick Cage. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I would say- Soft to no landing. It just keeps going. It's like an EV for planes. Um, because I, I just think that like people have a way of solving problems. The the thing that has probably grown on me though recently, I th- I've actually grown more negative over the last month. I actually think looking around and seeing and hearing from some people just anecdotally like through the, the network and whatever, that it actually like these uh, interest rate increases are really going to hurt people. Like Eventually. Oh, Yeah. Um, I don't think people, like you say, like you go around outside, you see people wandering around and whatever, um, like zombies, but those, <laughs> but that, that, maybe that's not necessarily- We're re- walking different places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, just walking the walls. Maybe they're not, maybe not necessarily indicative of everything that we have in the economy. And I think, I think there's a potential that like the old blunt instrument from the RBA is that it could hurt people more than we suspect. Yeah. It's, it's all, I don't envy their job, to be honest. Like, it's so hard to get it right with one tool, basically. It's a blunt tool. It makes no- It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Need, more needs to be done by fiscal and government policy than yeah. solely increasing interest rates. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would- I'm, the, I'm defaulting to optimism, but just- You know what's the old saying? Or the old adage is just like, prepare for the worst, expect the best. And um, that's kind of how I live my life. So, <laughs> expect the best, prepare for the worst. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You so, said the opposite. So you, so you prepare. <laughs> oh, you did the opposite. You prepare for the worst. Like if you, yeah. you, if something was to go wrong, you can handle it because you've prepared. It's like having a fire plan. If you live in a bushfire area like me, um, you prepare 
but you just expect that it's not going to happen because it yeah. probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind a good of way to, a good way to live your life. That's how I live, yeah. I mean, sh- shit happens, but <laughs> you just kind of write it out, you know what I'm saying? So, anyway, uh, blue chip stock, ZIP, that is, ticket symbol Z. <laughs> IP now? Uh-huh. It's ZIP now, isn't Just it? Zip, yeah. yeah it no was one so in- annoying when it was Z1P yeah. typing that into CompSec all the time. <laughs> Anything with the number in it was dubious. Thanks, uh, Larry Diamond. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, corrected. Um, oops. So, Zip, what happened, mate? I feel like, what's the stock up to this week? Just a I may have shed on. some tears. Um- <laughs> <laughs> right or die. Or the lo- <laughs> The, the loss oh, was down only 8% thirty-three million. Yeah, I, I don't even look at the share price anymore. Twenty-five percent this back, month. Back. Year uh, to date, five percent. Oh, it had a peak recently. Apparently, they're winning customers from everyone else's failures, which is always a good sign. Um, huh. well, is positive? it positive? Well, a question on this: Is buy now, pay later company? If you don't know what Zip does, you pay installments. But if you do a credit check with. Interestingly, if you if you were with OpenPay and that company went insolvent, if they're winning the customer from them. Is that good or bad? Because is that someone just having debt with someone then going to get more debt with another provider? Like, can you just like switch the debts across? I don't think so. No, you could, and I don't like think a- you have to re- If they go insolvent, oh, actually, I probably shouldn't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> the question mark. No, no, they would be creditors, so they would have to claim all that to pay back uh, bondholders on the other side of it because all these things are funded by bondholders. So, you gotta, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd still have to pay back even if the company goes insolvent, I'd suggest. Um, yeah, unless it's not a credit I, product, then you don't get well, a market. It depends why they went uh, insolvent, doesn't it? Like most of these companies going insolvent because they don't have enough cash flow, not necessarily because they're losing a heap of money on their loans, but they're, they're burning too much because they put on too many staff and they plan for more growth than they had. And that growth slowed down incredibly quickly. And they probably plan for being able to raise capital a lot more easily this year mm. than than it, what it's what it's been like. So- so, like, the old, I guess, strategy of never waste a good crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And stay lean. <laughs> stay lean as he looks around. That's my life philosophy. <laughs> stay lean. <laughs> Drew's been shredding weight. <laughs> Complete opposite. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so Zip, like, uh, what's the, what were the kind of the headline numbers? Uh, and comments. Lo- it was lost another quote. 33 million. Interesting. Yep. Peter Gray, co-founder, seems pretty happy. But there was, uh, I think, one of the analysts came out and said liquidity runway is a key concern. So cash outflows about two hundred million, of which more than one hundred and forty were non-operating costs. Okay. How does that work? Which is confusing. Which means there's only seventy-eight million in cash and liquidity available at the moment. So it's whether they need to raise capital or not, which is is the way. You know, loss-making or fast-growing companies have to fund their operations. Yeah. Uh, but it's, <clears throat> I think, it's faced by a lot of companies, even your favorite, your personal favorite as well. <laughs> we won't touch that. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a challenging environment. This has just been this, like, there, there were like 15 players. Like, remember when you first tried to buy something on Country Road? Oh, yeah. My, one of my favorite brands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a sponsor. Lululemon. Um, and Lululemon. <laughs> Remember, wherever it was, whenever you used to go on there, you had one option. It was basically Afterpay. Yeah. And then you had Zip. Yeah. And then you had- PayPal pay installments. And then- 17 others. Like now, you can't, you can't even work out where to press pay because there's yeah. <laughs> 17 options tab. there. So, it just tells you how much competition went in there and how much capital went into those businesses and like everything. The consumer benefited because everything was essentially free. Capital was free. 
until it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I don't think there'll be uh, – I could see Zip and Afterpay being the only f- couple left. I don't know much about the others, but there's clearly con- consolidation. Open pay failing is one of them, uh, but I could see a lot more of that happening. The, the, the interesting thing that I've never been able to value or price with these buy now, pay later companies, I just got Zip's cash flow statement open, is they – people – this is the old adage of like a bank – you see, the upside is on the income statement, the downside is on the balance sheet, right? Yeah. And it all comes down to the the net transaction margin. Actually, like what profitability is there on the lending that they do? They don't call it lending, of course, they call it something else. But um, the lending that they do, like what is the profit margin? And the thing that I've never- I've been able to- pro- You could value this company just based on like a much- a, bunch of different theories but when it comes to pricing the risk it's almost i feel like it's almost impossible to price the risk from the outside as in you don't know what the margin would be in the future so no matter how tempting the valuation was during these buy now pay later crazes the risk was never able to be priced exactly so you never knew your true downside i'm just looking at this cash flow statement just a quick glance and there's a lot going on. Normally, when you look at an industrial business, you get the operating cash flows, the investing cash flows as a proxy for free cash flow. But in this instance, I should probably mute that. Um, there's also a bunch of stuff that goes on in the financing cash flows, just like a bank. The company has cash and cash equivalents of $299 million, and just eyeballing it, it had operating cash outflows of $226 million and $22 million of investing cash outflows. So, that means- I mean, the financing cash flows is the key thing that I just said, but I just I just don't know how to price it. If yeah. someone knows, if they have the best risk-adjusted valuation model of buy now, pay later, please reach out to us. Uh, reach out to Drew. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bottom draw for me. If, if I was doing my stuff, I'd probably <laughs> What do you just... mean? Like, bottom draw? <laughs> yeah. You know the bottom draw that everything goes into? That, oh. Yeah. Like the leftover batteries like and the uh, clamps that close your food. Modems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seven old modems. <laughs> yeah. I might use it one day. <laughs> Sorry, Larry. <laughs> but I thought bottom draw, like the analogy, like put it in your bottom draw is kind of like- I always thought the analogy was like, that's where the diversified ETFs go. They could. Maybe it's a different Maybe bottom just- draw. Oh, that'd be the top draw. Just leave it and forget. Not yeah. This one's where you're trying to forget about it. <laughs> just shove it <laughs> Not in Not set there. and forget. Just, just- <laughs> uh, forget about it. Well, well this is the thing. When a position, I assume, gets so small from the original purchase price, a lot of people are like that. They're just like, well- <laughs> In my mind, I probably should sell it so I don't. Re- you don't remind me of it every day. <laughs> so, given you're going to remind me, having it in my portfolio makes me have a look at the financials when they come out. Yeah. And so, I'm prepared for our discussions. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and if you're right with your macro prediction, your top-down investing, maybe the bottom-up, i.e. zip, bounces back. Like, bounces off the bottom. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Uh, well, that's uh, the market wrap brought to you by Andrew Derrimuth. <laughs> Boots on the ground reporter. <laughs> Boots in the portfolio, more like it. So, um, there were some other company results, which I'll call out real quick. Hub24 had a pretty stellar result. Uh, A2 Milk was a bit of a dog, but it is showing signs, to be honest, of coming back. So, there's more work to be done there by me. Altium result was actually pretty good, um, even though it got sold down. Uh, Kit McGrath's result, which is a small cap, wasn't that great. XRF's result was great, but aided by- um, the the cyclical impact. So, just be mindful of that. Uh, there were a few other results which I cannot remember that were quite compelling as well. Um, Did you see Hub24's new launch, product launch? I- Because I went to the SMSF Association yeah. and I heard about it, but I didn't get a full understanding. It's like a low-cost 
So they bought Class, the, the data provider for SMSFs, yeah. For yeah, yeah, for accounting software, and they also, uh, I think it was now Infinity, the document provider that creates SMSFs. Uh, yeah, right. And now they've launched a an SMSF, uh, like a low cost, easy to use SMSF option via the Hub Twenty Four platform. But you have to. This you have to have an advisor. You to have use. to have an advisor to use yep. it. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like a limited investment menu, as far as I know. Like you can't do like. Limited to what's on Hub24. Yeah, you can't do like unlisted assets or whatever. No, no. I mean, I think you could off the platform, but um, on the platform investments and super competitive in terms of cost was pretty interesting. Yeah, right. Okay. But that's just referring to that SMSF and another way for another reason it's growing and becoming more popular. Yeah. So, we've got some questions uh, coming through. And if you do want to send us a question, you can send it to any of the RASC websites. It's also a big uh, link in your podcast player. So, if you're listening to this on Apple uh, podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, whatever, like whatever your jive is, there's a link there that says ask a question. You can click that or you can head to the RASC websites and there's another link that says ask a question. Just select the Australian Investors Podcast. Remember the funny names, one funny name every week gets uh, an award. You just need to email us and say, hey, that was me that asked that question and we'll give you a pass to the Value Investor Program, the retail price of $4.99. You also get admiration and applause. So, when we do answer these questions- you send us some great information, but we cannot answer them and we can in a personal fashion. We will make them generalized, hence why we ask you to not use your name as well. We do not want any uh, kind of inclination that it might be personal advice. We are strictly limited to general advice. If you want personal advice, you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional. Drew here is a financial planner. There is a question around financial planners in this mix, so we will explain how to go about finding one as well, but you can head to the Money Smart website and find a licensed advisor. The first question comes from completely unstructured. Named after our podcast? Yes. <laughs> Loose would be another one. Uh, so, th- they basically say that we're between 40 and 50. Uh, we've got two debt-free investment properties woohoo, and maximizing super contributions. Um, have approximately a million to invest and won't need the funds for at least seven years when we plan to semi-retire. Just early retirement, that sounds good. Uh, is there an advantage to investing the funds through an investment company? This is basically the, 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 th- the crux of the question. And this is the generalized question. Does it make sense to invest through an investment company instead of personal names? Following a suggestion from our accountant, Drew, tax advisor. Can I provide, can I use the two most beautiful words in the English language? It depends. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering what it was. I was thinking I was like England. <laughs> uh, I mean, like this is like every, it's a good question and there's, you know, there's multiple options you have, but there's pros and cons like every every entity structure. So, an investment company is just a company like every structure. It's almost similar to a listed investment company, which is not listed. It's just yours. Yeah, exactly. So, there's options. As you've said, there's superannuation, there's family trusts, there's investing in your own name, investing in your partner's name, and there's a company. The benefits of a company, obviously not personal advice, is the tax rate is capped at 25%. Uh, the- Meaning that if you have a dividend of $100, of $25 will yes. be taxed. Exactly. Versus in a personal name, you- If you're on the top marginal tax rate, 46.5% will be taxed. Okay. But if you have a capital gain and- Realized capital gain. A yeah. realized capital gain. Difference is- No discount meaning- when held in the company. So, if you hold it directly for more than 12 months, the half, the, only the half the capital gain is accessible. Uh, in a company, you don't get that CGT discount. So, so 
hundred dollars of capital gain will be taxed at twenty five percent. If it was held personally, hundred dollars of capital gain, only fifty dollars of that will be taxed at your rate. Yeah. So in the example, hundred bucks. If your tax rate is thirty percent, you hold it for more than twelve months. Comes out pretty similar. Fifty. Yeah, it comes out pretty similar. <laughs> it goes to fifty dollars is actually taxed. You get the other fifty tax free. Yeah. And then of that fifty dollars, you tax at thirty percent. Yeah. 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 Quick math. So, um, I think one of the would you do it? One of the other benefits of this is that you're able to you know create your own franken credits because you're paying that tax. Yep, yep, yep. But the drawback, and not necessarily a drawback, is that this is only a tax deferral mechanism. You're not, you know, you're not avoiding the payment of tax. You're just delaying it. Yep. And what happens is all the profits uh, and all the investments essentially get stuck in that entity, and eventually you need to pay it out in the form of dividends, which are taxable on their own. So, it's, uh, it does very much depend on what your objectives are. Um, where I've seen it work in the past is where you don't start using the investment coming to pay dividends until you're retired and all your income is coming from super and it's tax-free and yep. then you can close it down over 10 years or something. That's a great idea. So, <clears throat> as deferring tax, there are other ways to do this. We've spoken about this. There is some cost involved. There's some admin. You could expect to pay. I would just ballpark it at one to $2,000 in admin costs. At least. Inflation. Yeah. Inflation, Yeah. Company profits, all that. So uh, that's the that's the one thing. But there is some flexibility that also comes with a company. You can buy other stuff. You can buy stuff that might be risky for you to hold personally, as in like from a legal perspective, and you can hold that in the company if you want to, like another business or something like that, uh, which you may not want in your personal name. And it can just create separation with your other investments that you might have. It's not perfect is basically the way to put it. I find these would be effective if you have a – I often get questions like, hey – me and a few mates, it's typically the blokes, but chicks could do this as well, where you have, um, say, five friends and you want to start an investment club and you want to contrib- contribute regularly, yeah. instead of putting it in one person's name, because you can't open a brokerage account in five people's names, at least yeah. if I don't think so, um, just start a company, you all share in the cost, you all share in the upside, uh, and then you make sure that you all have the voting rights sorted out. But that's it. Um, I'm gonna- our company has to operate through a company structure. You can open brokerage accounts. It can do all that sort of stuff. Um, just be mindful, I would say, that if you ask a lawyer for legal advice, they're going to give you legal advice. If you ask an accountant for tax advice, they're going to give tax advice. Yep. So, an accountant's going to say, this is the one that may lower your tax, but it may not necessarily take the whole picture into account. Exactly. So, that's why you need to get a, a second opinion, which you did kind of by reaching out to us, which is great. Second question comes through from Warren Buffett's budgie smugglers in brackets extra small, but also it's buffet because there's only one T. <laughs> Warren Buffet's budge- budgie smugglers, classic mistake, one T on the Buffett. Uh, so, g'day, Starsky and Hutch. The question goes on and on and on. Wait, who's Starsky and who's Hutch? <laughs> oh, that's it. And which one are we talking about? Like the old one, the Ben Stiller and, you know, well, Owen Wilson. Yep. So there you go. have to be. Yep, yeah, right. so, so you'll be Ben Stiller. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hutch. <laughs> oh, it's Blue Steel. So, uh, so here we go. Um, the question is like the bunch of inheritances, if I'm not mistaken, Drew, um, <clears throat> has been passed down from a granddad passing away. And the question is basically how to build a more diversified portfolio than what was kind of bequeathed or given to the next of kin because they just had like BHP, Woodside, and West Farms. And they're thinking, well, maybe we could buy like Sol Pattinson or ideally we'd have an ETF in there, but the ETF has already got all those companies in it. So, how can we kind of diversify away from that? And is it worth looking at other ETFs like the MVB ETF from VanEck, which is a bank ETF, the BetaShares X20 ETF, which is just like the excluding the top 20, so excluding BHP and all that, or even a small cap ETF, um, you know, or even just high quality individual stocks. Like how do you diversify away? 
I think it's a very common question too, because when you're starting with small amounts, you you don't you know you're pretty much exposed yeah. to two sectors, and that's it. Yep. And you're going to see a lot of volatility. This is naturally where a highly diversified ETF comes in. And yes, on the top of your head, you'll be worried about you're adding 16% to already a probably 16% exposure, or you're adding <clears throat> that to quite a large exposure to those three companies already. Um, but I think it's just the easy. Uh, it would be the easiest and uh, almost set and forget ways. We also we work with clients a lot where they've inherited shares like this, and it can be very challenging to get yeah. them to sell it, even if it's the best thing. But if you think you're going to be contributing to it over an extended period of time, then where it sits today is probably less important, and where it goes to over the next five or ten years, because it'll grow quickly to to me to mean the BHPs and the West Farmers are the smallest part of your portfolio anyway. Yeah, I think you could definitely diversify away if you want to. Um, just consider the tax taxable yep. position. Um, would, would you be wary of having sector-specific exposures in this kind of set-and-forget type approach? Yeah, but like you said, you could just reinvest the dividends into something else. I think yep. Solpats is an interesting um, diversifier if you're interested in just individual stocks because um, obviously it itself is diversified, but it, is, it also has a lot of exposure to mining companies or mining-related industries. So just keep that in mind. I probably, I'm not a huge fan of the small cap ETFs. I just think if you're going to go small caps in Aussie, you may as well go with a really good active manager. That's my personal preference, simply because there are so many of them and the market is still, of all markets that are in, of all segments of stock, if you, if, let me start this again. If you take all the stock markets in the world from developed countries, so Australia, Canada, UK, France, Australia, uh, all these the Australian small cap market is actually still one of those kind of like Wild West frontiers. Very much. With with the regulation though. So, you kind of get this sweetness of like you could probably find undervalued companies quite often and pretty good companies, but it's in a- like it's on the ASX, it's pretty st- stringently regulated. So you got that kind of that backing of the, the not the sovereign risk. And the problem we saw in small caps, at least global small caps, in the last few years was that things like GameStop yeah. and Bed Bath and Beyond became the top holdings. Yeah, Beyond Meat because of because of <laughs> Beyond Meat. <laughs> Uh, just because of that momentum and how quick quickly they became big and then the index was forced to increase them. So, um, I just prefer almost as broad base as possible. You're more likely to buy the, you know, mm. buy some of the biggest, broadest indices for at least the first five or 10 years because yep. they're always evolving. You've seen the top 10 in the S&P or the top 10 in Australia change a bit, maybe not that much, in the last 10 years. There's more materials now, but there were more industrials 10 years ago. Absolutely. So, it's yeah. always evolving. Yeah. And for the most part, um, this is a this is a good problem to have because you can diversify away. I wouldn't be too f- concerned with the exposures to begin with. You're going to get volatility, so there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. But you know, West Farmers, BHP, Woodside Group, you know, of all those, three, probably the Woodside Group is the one I'd probably be most concerned about. But um, they're pretty solid, rock solid companies. Been around for a very long time. So nice one, budgie smugglers. Um, Scooby says, love your quality podcast. Is he sure he's got the right podcast? <laughs> or she? Quality. <laughs> I have, he's actually, actually looking for the quality podcast. <laughs> it's a different one. Uh, so I have a prox 100K to invest in ETFs. Um, but in the past, you've said something like a slow, gradual investment strategy over months. Can you explain why this is the case? So we're not going to answer the question of like what you should do with 100K. We're just going to say why that can be a strategy. Some people say that that's not a good strategy. And some people, like my, my preference is slow, steady. 
Yeah, exactly. And particularly when you've got a new pool of capital. So, Jamie and I kind of disagree or agree to disagree on these. My yeah. so business partner, Jamie. Um, his his view is if the portfolio is right, then you just buy it and it should be fine. I think a diversified portfolio. Yeah, a diversified portfolio. When if you're just going into equities or something, then you you're yeah. obviously taking the market risk all at a single point of time. I'm more uh, when I think about this and when dealing with new clients that come in that have cash, even if they've rolled over from somewhere else where they were invested, I find the emotional impact of dropping an entire amount of capital into volatile markets at any point in time, even if it's low is very challenging for people. And if you're able to dollar-cost average, that's it. this whole concept of dollar-cost averaging is you're buying a little bit every three months, six months, whatever it happens to be. And if the price goes up, you're buying it slightly higher. If the price goes down, you're buying it slightly lower, but you're kind of smoothing the journey. Uh, that smoothing is incredibly, incredibly valuable and hopefully stops people from making bad decisions. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. a double negative. Um, <laughs> Dave Gow in his book, Strong Money, which focuses on you know his journey and uh, financial independence talks about this. People choose between like, do I put the money in now? Do I wait, um, or do I do a bit of both, like property versus shares? Doesn't really matter. The key thing is just to do something. That's yeah. the, kind of the key just thing. Just get started. Yeah, just get get, get something. Yeah, and personally, my, my my personal preference is to start extremely small. You know, because I think it takes a few years to get used to the emotions of investing, uh, and to learn as well, and just learn as you go. Uh, no one knows what's going to happen in the next year. Seriously, no one knows. Not even central bankers when they talk about where they're going to put interest rates or even those guys that jump on the TV or that that guy that always talks about property and how he thinks it's going to fall 20% every year. <clears throat> Sooner or later, he's right. Uh, so, Goon, Goon is investing. It's an appropriate name. Goon is investing. Where can I find- a comparison list of fees for financial advisors slash planners in Australia. I don't think you can. I don't think you can either. There's a few there like ratings platforms, but they're you know most advisors won't have more than a hundred clients at any given time. So yeah, it's the ratings platforms. You're, you're never going to get a great you know yeah. The, there's a not a the cross section, yeah. and most people won't go. And like most people, they won't go and rate advisors negatively. Yeah, unless it's on Google. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, the good thing about financial advice and the amount of legislation and regulation around it is you can quickly find out what your advisor will charge by looking at an F FSG, a financial, financial services, services guide. guide. Yeah, yeah, sorry. We love acronyms in here. Yep. Uh, PDS, FSG, IMA, SMA, MDA. Yep. Uh, EBITDA. <laughs> EBITDA. <laughs> NPAT. Yeah. NPATDA. <laughs> Underlying adjusted EBITDA. <laughs> That's not an acronym. <laughs> Just making stuff up, you know. Uh, um, but, the, but I think the financial service guide, the most valuable tool you get, advisors have to have in that financial services guide- what fees, the maximum fees they can charge and the likely fees they will charge. So, if you're thinking about you just Google five advisors that are nearby and download their FSGs or even just ask them. Technically, I don't think they have to provide one unless they've given you personal advice, but most make it freely available anyway. Yeah. Like our- The, the thing is, you have to provide an FSG when you give advice of any kind. Yeah. So, most- providers put it on their website in the footer section at the bottom. Anyway, yeah. Like we have to do that because every there's a chance you could listen to one of the RAS podcasts and it has to be available to you. At least in the site map, you can usually yeah. find it. Yeah. So just have a look on their website and there's a fee section there and I'll tell you, even if it doesn't, even if it's not super prescriptive on what it is you'll be charged, there may be, it will definitely tell you how fees are charged and kind of give you an indication of 
the different types of fees you will pay. Yeah. So that's the way to go about it and just get some in your local area. Um, and I'd say that's the way to go. Uh, so there's another question uh, from uh, Bob. I thought it was worth mentioning that you know, mm-hmm. most fees on there are generally you're seeing between 08 and 1% of assets under management. That's a good point, yeah. But yeah. there is a trend towards fixed, fixed fees. Fixed. Well, you guys you, do fixed. Your you ongoing guys do service. Like a number. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like there's this, if you think, if you've got $1 million and you charge 1%, that's 10 grand. Does it cha- Does it cost five times more to manage the money out of someone who has $5 million? Not necessarily. Not if it's in the not necessarily exactly. There are risks for advisors, like professional indemnity insurance goes up as the amounts go traded up. go up. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of look at it as time involved, entity structures, complexity, underlying yeah. investments when we look when we think about it anyway. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I am an Australian retiree living permanently in Asia. Ooh. I have AUD, one point five million, to create a steady income stream. What's a reasonable expectation of return on investment? We can't really tell you because no one knows exactly, but we could comment generally about historical. Sure. And like if you go to like the Vanguard website, for example, you can see that, you know, equities or shares, depending on which one you look at, Australian, US, international, whatever, you might be able to see like historical returns are in the high single digits to very low double digits. So, you know, 10 or 11%. for bonds, that it's obviously come down over the last five to ten years, but historically it's a bit hot. It's a bit like in the kind of like below five percent range, but probably around that. Property has been quite high, but maybe that's not the indication going forward. Like I've seen some research that suggests after inflation, property prices won't go anywhere for ten years. Wouldn't surprise me. And that's generally speaking. Obviously, there'll be properties within suburbs and all that sort of. Past case. performance is no guide to future performance. Yeah, and forecasts are often wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> often. So basically, don't Always rely wrong. on anything that happened historically, and never, never trust pro- anything that goes forward. <laughs> and also, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Bob. <laughs> well, I think the if you think about risk profiling and long term kind of expectations, it's always been CPI plus three to four percent for a broadly balanced portfolio. And that's long-term CPI, not CPI of one year. So, if your CPI plus four means you expect 11% per annum this year or 11% in the last 12 months, which given markets are impacted by interest rates that are impacted by inflation is just completely impossible. There's only one way you could have done that and no one did it. No one could do it. Holding only resources for a (laughs) 12-month period. Not personal advice. Beginning of 2022- We're only buying BHP and coal stocks. That's it. (laughs) 100% diversified. Trust me. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. So, we, I think we've talked regularly on our rule of thumb for income, which you should know by now. How much income can you generally produce? 80%. No. No. So, what would you say? 5%? I think you can reasonably expect from a diversified portfolio across fixed income and equities, 5% per annum in income, particularly maybe- At the moment- Living in a you know tax, living permanently in Asia. There's probably some other questions. Withholding tax, you know, all that sort yeah. of stuff. But five percent, yeah. With dividends, and that was that article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, which was there's never been a better time for retirees to invest because you can get four percent on a term deposit. Yeah, go back two years, you get one percent. So you can take air quotes. You can't see these, but air quotes. <laughs> Risk free is what they say because it's a government backed term deposit, yeah. not on one point five million, but on two hundred fifty k per institution. Um, so, you can use those to your advantage, at least for the next few years. But then what happens after that? Well, then you've got to readjust your portfolio mix 
so that you're staying abreast of kind of like changes in interest rates and so on. Great question though, because this is the number one question we get for passive income. This is the type of question that Drew and Jamie at Waddle Partners deal with all the time. You'll find a link in the show notes if you want to reach out to those guys. So, Pickles O'Houlihan, which is a play on Patches O'Houlihan, I believe, but Pickles oh, says- Patches, yeah. Yes. You dodge can dodge ball. a wrench, you, you can dodge it? a ball. <laughs> Dip. What is it? Dip. Dip duck, duck. Dodge, dive, and dodge. Dodge. <laughs> The five D's of dodgeball. And, and then he challenges. He's like, excuse me? And then he throws a wrench at him. Pickles is clearly our vintage. <laughs> yeah. As a relatively young investor, I'm interested in holding my stocks basically forever. I love this. Um, and then I mainly invest in ETFs. And given my long investing time frame, that's um, market returns and comp- compounding is likely enough. Though, with reference to the book 100 to 1 in the stock market, this is all about multi-baggers if you haven't read it, I like the idea of shooting a few shots at companies that have long-term potential. Is this just a false hope for a non-analyst? The book refers to companies from 100 years ago. Do companies with such a long-term potential, like in the book, still exist in a more rapidly evolving world? Pickles. What do you reckon? I think they still do. The, my issue with this is always a tendency for it to be like the macro cap, tiny stocks, IPOs are sold as 100 baggers. But half the time, it, it's the Apples, the Amazons, the slow compounders. Like you watch Warren Buffett's returns, a hundred, he's a 100 bagger, a 1,000 bagger, a million bagger. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> Gazillion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think there's a tendency for it to be too short-term focused and the, this you know massive potential or tech, new technology where a lot of the time it's just what are now boring companies that are doing things exceptionally well and compounding over time. Mm. Um, so, I think it makes complete sense, but I, I'd be looking at existing companies with strong technology or competitive advantages rather than looking- I'm Not not that he's saying he's looking at small caps or anything, but yeah. I know that's a tendency in get rich like crypto was as well. Oh. <laughs> Just put the, We're not that, going that's down. That's me getting kicked under the table if anyone didn't hear that. How dare you bring that up? <laughs> so, not on this podcast. So, um, yeah, I think I like the idea. I love the idea of having a really rock solid core portfolio. That's going to make me probably wealthy. But then having the moonshots, I think it's great. And I think I like it intellectually. I like it, you know, as something that just kind of I, I grow as a person. And I agree basically with everything you said there, Drew. What I would say, though, in Australia is oftentimes you just have to- If you look at the US companies- Quality sucks. Yeah. You you kind of have to come down a little bit in terms of market cap, I think. Like a sweet spot in Australia- I'm just going to put this out there and everyone's going to be like, you said this eight years ago in eight years from now. You know, if you can look in that kind of 150 to 500 or even a billion dollar range of companies in market cap, that's where I think things are interesting because they're not MVPs. They're not- you know, concepts. They should be companies with revenue. They should be companies that are growing, that maybe even industry leaders that are on that growth trajectory. Like when Afterpay merged with TouchCorp would be a good example. Um, and that went on to be one of the mo- probably the most successful like tech stock in Australian history from a public perspective. Um, whereas in the US, you can go further up the market cap spectrum and you can get high quality if that's what you want. So, do I think this is still a thing that you can do? Absolutely. Like I remember that old- um, was the, the head of the patents office said in not the I think it was the year 1900 or the year 1901 or something. Maybe it was even earlier than that. Said everything that has been invented, everything that could be invented has been invented. And then you think, oh, okay. And we always come around to this idea that, you know, oh, look at Amazon. There's no Amazon now. Well, there is. You just don't know what it is. Yeah. 
Um, there's no podcast. There's no podcast. Now there's a podcast. Maybe podcasts are the next thing. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. Uh, so, but yes, I do think so. And I think you've got to be discerning. Here's a quick checklist from one person who did this and recently stepped back from the multi-fool rule, uh, rule breaker investing um, genius, David Gardner, who's a co-founder of the multi-fool. And he has this bizarre, you could say bizarre from the outset, uh, investment checklist, which reframes and reframes and reframes as you go through it. Um, and he has this kind of like the attributes of what he calls rule-breaking companies, companies that break the rules and go on to do extraordinary things. He looks for companies that are a top dog in an important emerging sector. So, a growing sector, it's an important sector, meaning it's meaningful and it's a leader. The company must have a sustainable competitive advantage. We've heard that before. Number three, He's looking for companies with strong share price appreciation, meaning the company's share price has already gone up. Number four, have good management, makes sense. Number five, have strong customer appeal. He does this thing called the snap test. Click your fingers. If the company disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice? And would they care? Think about that. Number six, there must be people who say the stock is overvalued. Always. Because if everyone says it's overvalued, well, maybe it's not. Uh, and these are the kind of the, the, the criteria that he looks for in a company. So important emerging sector, and it's a top dog, sustainable competitive advantage, strong price appreciation, good management, strong customer appeal, people saying it's overvalued. I think that's just a framework for identifying these types of companies. It's David Gardner's um, framework from the US. You can look him up. Uh, so yes, I would just say to Drew's point, don't go and buy concepts. Don't go and buy microcaps just because they're microcaps. Uh, that would be my thing. What's that? This is where something like a thematic ETF yes. might work. It might work, yes. Yeah. You mean like a what kind of ETF? A technology-driven one. Technology-driven one. Yeah. yeah that, that would do it. Um, I would, yeah. I think I prefer still to- Direct stocks. Direct stocks because you can just hold it into perpetuity without churn in the portfolio. Like you have control over the actual holding itself yep. because a lot of those thematic ETFs will be- the mandates for like refreshing trades. every three, yeah. six, twelve Rebalance months. Every yeah, three months, and you might months. lose the growth in some yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. So you get a bit of slippage there from tax as well. So I would just go direct with a lot of these types of investments. So I do this. I still hold Prometicus. I hold Zero. But companies in Australia that, and I'll give you some examples of companies that do this. Companies like Objective Corp in Australia, uh, Altium, Hub Twenty Four, which we just mentioned, Netwealth. Um, these are really go and research. I'm not saying go and buy them because I'm definitely not saying that, but just go and look at them because they're really interesting businesses and they kind of meet a lot of those criteria that I just mentioned from, from David's list. All right. Final question from the most audacious name that we've come, we've come across on the show thus far. John Citizen writes in and says, wife's about to go on maternity leave. Congratulations. Um, She's right. She she went to get a kind of a free consult session from an advisor at a super fund. She is rightfully concerned about significant loss in a super fund throughout the last few years, and they were trying to combine super funds, meaning that the husband and wife are saying, "Can't we just put it together to get more compounding?" Which, if you think about it, mathematics probably doesn't make the most sense. Um, but they said this doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. Are there? Do you have any thoughts about this? You know, what can you combine your super? Can you do this, Drew? We actually got the same question at the live event last year, didn't we? Yeah, we are. About putting your super together. About putting your super together, yeah. Which, I mean, technically, no. Like your member account in super is always your member account. Yeah. 
and your earnings are always allocated to you. Because it's your retirement. Exactly. And it's always an individual based on your tax roll number as, a, as an individual person. But there are ways that you could come. I mean, we talked about the first one, which was that you can actually make, if you're worried about your wife's superannuation not keeping up, you can actually make spouse contributions and get an offset yep. for that. So, you'd, I think it's important to continue doing that. Um, but that's on know, the contributions. It's not on the balance. You can't just exactly. go, I've got 500 grand. She's got 200. I'm just going to take half of mine and give it to her. I'd say there are options- Later on yeah. as well. So, we've done a lot of strategies that are, are based around equalizing super balances and that becomes more possible when you're over your preservation age, you're about 60. Yep. You've got 15 years where you can actually draw from whoever has the higher balance into the lower balance Yeah, uh, and even that up uh, more. So, you would- if, Can I just summarize because I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but you're saying yep. like the one with the, that's already retired with the balance- Withdraws. That they could withdraw and then contribute to the other fund. Exactly. So, then you get like a tax benefit as well. Because yeah. you're, you're, you're withdrawing from something that's not taxing you to withdraw and, then and putting, putting it back in- Without tax as well. Without tax, yeah. yeah. And it's just- a, I think it's important to have that balance as well, particularly in when it comes to estate planning. Yeah. Uh, you can use the caps more efficiently, the superannuation caps, which are topical at the moment. I mean, you can technically combine your super by starting an SMSF and investing it together, but you're still going to have your own member accounts and all the earnings will be allocated based on your balances when you start that yep. as well. So- Technically, you can't put them together. So, technically, they're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the way to equalize, what we call equalize the superannuation fund over time between spouses is you can make contributions to the partner's super fund and claim a tax deduction if you want to do that. But the other way is you can split contributions. So, if the employer is, say, putting 10 grand in and your partner's not getting any, you can take some of that which was put in and split it with them after it has been put in. So, you don't have to do it up front. There's a special form you need to get from your super fund and obviously you need all the details and blah, 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 blah. Uh, then there's like for low income earners, you've got the um, things like the government co-contribution where you can make it a tax uh, a deposit effectively into the super fund and the government will chip in some cash. And so, there's, so there's basically three ways. One, you can take advantage of that, the contribution, co-contribution. You can just deposit money into their super fund or they can do it. Uh, and finally, after it's deposited to your super fund, you can split some of the contributions. But as we be wary, there are timeframes on these. And if you do decide to claim a tax deduction for anything, you should speak to your accountant and fill out the form, a notice of intent to claim a tax deduction. So that brings us to the end of the questions. We had some names. John Citizen, Pickles, O'Hoolahan, Bob, which is quite out there. Goon is investing. Scooby, Warren Buffet's budgie smugglers, extra small, completely unstructured. Drew... Who gets the award for this I week? I think it's completely unstructured. Completely unstructured. Who asked the a question about us? <laughs> Very polite. Well, they like maybe they like their life unstructured. But although they say they do want to retire early, so um, if you are completely unstructured, that is your birth name. Please send us the the birth certificate to prove that that is your name, and we will send you a pass to the Value Investor Program. My absolute complete curriculum on investing in Australia. It's too big. Most people don't finish it, but it's all there if you want it. And you get all the models and downloads and whatever. Drew is going to take us away today. <laughs> Andrew Derrimuth, the partner at Waddle Partners, you can find him. There's a link in the show notes that says financial planning. Drew uh, Meredith is on my, my, <laughs> my pseudonym at Waddle Partners. Yeah, yeah, his real name is Derrimuth. But no, Drew Meredith, 
and Jamie and all the team at Waddle Partners are available if you want to send them an email. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. He is going to take us out. He's just going to ride off into the sunset with a joke. I hope it's PC because he's laughing his head off before he's even said it. Uh, Drew, over to you, mate. I mean, inflation's hitting us all hard at the moment. So, I thought a joke related to that and I'll credit Dad Says Jokes uh, Twitter handle mm-hmm. uh, and IG. Um, Owen, you think gas prices are expensive? Have you seen chimneys? They're through the roof. <laughs> Let us know what you think of Drew's joke. Uh, sorry. Should it be a new part? <laughs> yes. This is a new segment. <laughs> so, dad's out there. Try that on. Let's have a look at the expressions you get from your, your kids or your partner. Uh, but Drew, mate, as always, thanks for joining me. It's good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.